You know, as I was growing up, uh, Christmas was always a very, very busy day. My four grandparents, they would always show up at my mom and dad's house about 8 a.m. They would watch my sister and I. We would open up our gifts. From then on, my mom and dad, my sister and I, we'd be on the road for the rest of the day. We would start out by going to my great-great-aunt Charlotte's house. She would have all kinds of, like, Christmas goodies, cookies, and, and fruitcakes, and eggnog. And, I mean, you know, the, the whole nine yards. And then, of course, I would get my gifts. And then from there, we would go to my grandparents on my mom's side of the family, and we'd have lunch there, and we'd exchange gifts with all those family members. From there, then, we would oftentimes, we'd go to my cousin Mike's house, who was our campus leader down at our Hagerstown campus. He was here last week with us. We would go there. I would exchange gifts with my four cousins, or uh, three cousins that are all my age, and we would do all that. From there, we would go to his grandmother's house. And that's where we would have dinner at, and that was the Thurston side of the uh, family. And we would have dinner, we'd exchange gifts with everybody there, but we still weren't done yet. From there then, we would go to my grandparents on my dad's side, the, the Thurston side. And again, that's the, the big side of the family, and we would exchange gifts with all of them. And so oftentimes Christmas wasn't done until like 10 p.m., 11 p.m., you know, midnight or so. Uh, a couple things you need to understand about me as I was growing up, yes, I was spoiled. <laughs> That's the first thing. Number two, yes, that was a very tiring day. And number three, yes, that did create a lot of tension for Lisa and I when we started dating. You see, her family is pretty small. And so for them, Christmas was often done at lunchtime. And so you can see how that would create some like differing expectations about what does Christmas look like? Because I thought it goes all day long. And she thought it should be done by lunch. Now, as we got married then, you know, a part of a, a good marriage is you mutually submit and sacrifice for one another. You're, you're trying to find compromise in the relationship. And so what that meant was her adding some things on her calendar, and it meant me taking a lot of things off of my calendar, which meant I had to say to some family members and friends that, no, we can't do this, no, we can't do that, no, we can't do that either. And that then presents new types of tension because there's expectations from other family members that we would be doing things with them. How many of you can relate what I'm talking about? That at, at Christmas time, there's expectations of what the perfect Christmas should look like, and everybody has differing expectations, and sometimes that creates tension, and you're like, oh man, this time of the year, it's supposed to be the most wonderful time, but yet I'm not really feeling that right now. Maybe for you, it isn't like those types of expectations. Maybe for you, it's relational conflict that you have. You know, perhaps for you, you have some family members that, quite frankly, you just don't get along with all that well. But then Christmas rolls around and you're expected to get together with them and act like everything's okay, you know, for the sake of family unity. Maybe for you, it's something financial. There's a lot of pressure, you know, you want your kids to have the very best of the latest fashions and the latest trends, and so you're just spending money trying to keep up with the Joneses so that your kids aren't left behind, and you just keep spending and spending and spending and spending. Or maybe it's back to those people that, you know, you don't really like, some of your relatives. The expectation is you're going to buy them gifts, and you're like, I'm buying gifts for people I don't really like with money I don't really have. And so this whole most wonderful time of the year, oftentimes it just... It can be so depressing if you think about it. It can be a dark moment. It starts to reveal those aspects of our lives that, you know, there's people that we can't control and situations that we can't handle. There's money that we don't have. And you're just feeling all this tension. And what happens is, you know, it, compared to Easter, 
You know, Easter brings us hope, doesn't it? Because it's the springtime, you know, the, the flowers are starting to come off. Jesus rises again from the dead. You know, it, there's hope with that. But then all of a sudden we have this, this season called Christmas. It's these couple weeks where, again, all these things that are going wrong in our lives, they are magnified and they're compressed down into this like three or four week period. And it's a lot for us to handle. And it can seem really, really dark. It can seem really, really bad. Now, I bring all that up because today we're beginning a brand new series called The Name. What we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to look at various names of God, various names of Jesus, and the titles that Jesus has given. And we're going to see how can those things help to get us through this season that oftentimes, you know, the mirror reflects back on ourselves. And we realize that, wow, a lot of these things in the Christmas season that are wrong, I've actually brought it on to myself. And what I'm hoping is that today's name that we're going to look at, which is the light, it's a title of Jesus, the light. I hope it's going to help you not just through this Christmas season, but I hope it's going to help you throughout not just even 2023, but for the rest of your lives as well. So if you've got a Bible today, if you want to go ahead and turn to John, that's where we're going to hang out today, John chapter 1, if you want to turn there. I do want to welcome those of you that are watching online with us. And if you would do us a favor, just click the little link there in the upper right-hand corner of your screen. That's going to take you to a thing called Talk Notes, and that's going to give you all the uh, scriptures we're going to look at today as well as all the points that I'll be making. For those of you live here in the room, you can go to our website, exponential.church. You can find all the scriptures there as well to follow along. Now, before we actually get into uh, looking at John, I want to just sort of remind you of a, a couple of things. First of all is that there's four biographies of Jesus in what we would call the New Testament. Now, we just finished up a series called Evidence, where we were able to look at, are the accounts that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John actual, real, reliable, historical accounts, or are they just simply fairy tales? If you missed that series, I'd strongly encourage you, again, go to our website, exponential.church, look at all six of those messages, because it was such a powerful series of the actual facts behind the Christian faith. It isn't that we're just simply like, believing just because, well, I'm, I'm just hope that it's true. You know, it's not a blind faith. There's actual facts behind our faith. But again, we looked at as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Are they true historical accounts? And I shared a little bit of this with you. If you remember, um, they each tell the story a little bit differently. And so Mark, he's written his gospel in 45 to 50 AD, somewhere in that time range, which is only 12 to 17 years after the resurrection of Jesus. But Mark, he skips the birth of Jesus altogether. He just jumps right into Jesus' public ministry. I mean, he, he's like right at it. He's like, here's what's important. In fact, as you read through Mark, it's the shortest of the Gospels. And what you find is most of what Mark writes is about Jesus' final week on the earth here. It's that final week, and then his death, his burial, his resurrection, and then a little bit after his resurrection. So Mark, he's like right into it. Then you get to Matthew, and you get to Luke, and they talk about the birth of Jesus, the, the growing up of Jesus. They talk about all the ministry that Jesus did, et cetera, et cetera, and then all the way then to his, again, his arrest, his death, his burial, his resurrection, a little bit, what happens afterwards. Those three Gospels, so you got Mark, you got Luke, and you got Matthew, those three are called the synoptic gospels. And that word simply means that they're in sync with one another. 
what you see as you read through them, again, Mark, he skips sort of the, the beginning, the birth of Jesus, but what you see is a lot of the same stories. Now, they're each giving it from their perspective. We talked about that in the last series, right? That if you're at a, a four-way intersection, you see a traffic crash, what you see on the corner where you're standing is going to be a little bit different than what somebody else on another corner is going to see. And so that's what we get with these three. They're, they're, they're telling the same stories. They're just giving a little bit of a different angle of how they saw it. John, though, he's completely different. His is nothing like the other three. It is so, so different. Now, before we actually get into all that, let's talk about a little bit of why it may have been that way. Because uh, he doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. He, he actually starts with the why of Jesus. Now, let me give you a little bit of context here. John was the one that was closest to Jesus as far as relationally. They were the absolute best friends. Remember, Jesus had 12 disciples. He was closest with three, Peter, James, and John. But then out of the three, he was closest with John. John's the one at the Last Supper that we read about that someone was reclining up next to Jesus. That's John. John, along with Peter and James, was able to experience some things that the rest of the disciples just simply weren't able to experience. John is the one that when Jesus uh, left the, the earth to, to return back to heaven, he was ascended back to heaven. John was the one that Jesus said, John, I want you to take care of Mary. She is now your mother. You need to take care of her. John, out of the 12 disciples, he's the only one other than Judas that wasn't martyred. Again, we talked about that in the last series as well, that even though he was the only one that wasn't martyred, it wasn't because they didn't try. You remember what they did to him? Who remembers? What did they do to John? They dipped him into what? Boiling oil. Yeah, they put him in boiling oil. They tried to kill him. When he didn't die, they decided just to lock him up in prison forever. And so that's where we find John as he starts to write his gospel. He doesn't write it until 90 AD, which is now decades you know, after the other three gospels have been written. And again, he, he doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. He doesn't start with the miracles of Jesus. No, he starts with a great reminder to the people of his day of what they were going through and that Jesus is still the light that will help them through. And I hope again that this is a, a reminder to us. You see, John, he knew darkness. And some of you are experiencing darkness in your lives right now, whether it's the Christmas season or, or maybe it's just life in general. Things are really, really dark. But maybe you can relate to John because Again, he had seen darkness. He had seen his friends, James, Peter, Paul, all of his other close friends executed for their faith. Could you imagine that every single one of the people that you've been hanging out with for years is now being systematically executed? You've lost all of your friends? It's tough when we lose one person in our lives. But one person after another, after another, he keeps watching them be executed. And John's alive for something we talked about in the last series. That is that the Romans, they come in and they lay siege to Jerusalem. 67 AD, they come in and they start to try to break down the walls of Jerusalem and, and trying to attack, trying to get in, trying to conquer it. For three years, this goes on. And John's seeing this from afar. He's praying for Jerusalem. 
These are God's people. This is God's city. He sees it being attacked. Can you imagine 9-11 happening for three consecutive years? That's what it would have been like for them. If you remember, I shared with you, there's a seven-month period where eventually the Romans, they just blockade all supplies getting into Jerusalem. So now the people inside are starving. Plagues start to break out. And finally, the people are so defenseless, they are so weak that the Romans are able to break through the city walls. And what do they do? They execute all the men of the city. They burn the city to the ground and they tear down the temple. The center of not just the political, but the religious life for the Jews, all destroyed. It's all gone. You want to talk about knowing dark days and dark times. John knew those things. But yet, despite all the darkness, John never lost his faith in the goodness of God and in the hope that Jesus brings. He had such an incredible attitude about Jesus. He had seen all this darkness, but yet he still has all this great stuff to say about him. In fact, here's how John concludes his gospel in John 21, 25. He writes, Jesus did many other things. If they were all written in books, I don't suppose that there'd be room enough in the whole world for all the books. Now, obviously, John's using some hyperbole here. But what he's saying is, look, what I have written to you is only a glimpse. And what the other people have been writing, it's only a glimpse of all the things that Jesus did, who he was, what he said, what he did. In another one of John's letters, he writes that, look, the reason that I'm writing all this to you, and by the way, he writes five of the 27 books of the New Testament. So he writes the Gospel of John, he wrote, uh, writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then he writes the book of Revelation. In these five, he says, look, the reason I'm writing all this to you, he writes this in, in 1st John 5.13, he says, the reason I'm writing all this to you is so that you may know that you have eternal life. He says, why is this being written why are we all writing this down? It's so that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, John realized that there is something way more than just this world, that no matter how dark this world gets, that there is still a light, a light of eternity, a light that is to come, the light of Jesus that will get us through. And so that's why he doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. He starts with something that's far greater he doesn't start with the what happened. He starts with the why it happened. And again, this just blows my mind that he doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. Because I already share with you, he's the one that Jesus said, you need to take care of Mary. And so he had spent so much time with Mary. Can you imagine spending time with Mary? The questions you would ask, it's got to be what John was doing. He's going, Mary, come on, t tell me one more time about, you know, when the angel came to you and told you that you were pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Tell me that story again. I know you've told it to me a thousand times. Tell it to me again. I want to hear it one more time here. Mary, Mary, tell me the, tell me the reaction that Joseph had. What was the expression on his face when he found out that you were pregnant and it wasn't his? Tell me that story again. Mary, Mary tell me the story. When, when you guys were were forced to go to Bethlehem for the census and you were nine months pregnant. Come on, Mary, you, you, were a little, you were a little upset, right? I mean, those pregnancy hormones, I mean, they were, they were sort of acting up, weren't they? You weren't happy about this, were you? Come on, tell me that story. 
Tell me the story. When, when you got to Bethlehem and there was no room in the inn, t- tell me about that and what it was like to give birth to Jesus in a cave. Tell me again the story about the shepherds when they showed up. Tell me again about a couple years later when the wise men showed up at your house and they started giving your son all these gifts. Tell me that story. Mary, tell, tell me the story of what it was like when you found out that Herod, he wanted to kill your little baby and you and Joseph and Jesus all had to flee to Egypt for your life. Tell me that story one more time. So if anybody knew the stories of the birth of Jesus, it was John. But he doesn't start there. He's like, I'm not concerned with all the details of what happened. I want you to know why it happened. And so let's actually look then at John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. And as we start to turn there, let me remind you, and I've shared this with you before. Anytime you see capital W-O-R-D in the New Testament, capital W-O-R-D, it's referring to Jesus. So look at what John writes. He says, in the beginning was the what? In the beginning was the... The word, what did I say the word is? Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus and the word. Jesus was with God in the word. Jesus was God. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Through him, Jesus, all things were made. And without him, Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. In him, Jesus was life. And that life was the light for all mankind. And here comes the title that Jesus has given, the light. Jesus, the light, shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John says, look, Jesus came to be the light in this dark world, and I don't care what's going on in your life, John says, the darkness will not overcome it. And I hope that brings encouragement to you today. I hope that brings you some hope in this Christmas season, that no matter how dark things may seem in this season or how dark things may be in your life right now, Jesus is the light. And he wants to shine his light into the darkest parts of your lives. See, we don't have to be those that have no hope. We don't have to be those that live in despair. No, Jesus came to the earth to shine light. Isn't that actually more hopeful than just knowing that Jesus was born in a manger? I mean, yes, it's cool that we know the what happened, but isn't it cool that we know why he was born? Again, John knew darkness in his personal life. He knew darkness in the world in which he lived, but he knew that the light of Jesus shines brighter than any darkness. And John knew that This was light, not just for himself, but for all mankind. This wasn't just good news for the Jews. It was good news for all people, for all times. Now our job, as followers of Jesus, is to spread that light, to go make disciples of all nations, to bring his light into the darkest nooks and crannies of planet Earth. So John starts his gospel. He's like, yeah, it looks really, really dark. Peter's been killed. James has been killed. Paul has been killed. Our temple and Jewish way of life have all been destroyed. But he says nothing ever, ever, ever will be able to snuff out the light of Jesus. How can John be so confident that nothing could ever, ever snuff out the light of Jesus? Jesus. 
It's very, very simple. It's because he was there on the day that Jesus died. And it looked on that day like the darkness had won. And he was there as Jesus was buried in the tomb. And things got dark. It looked depressing. It looked beyond hope. But then three days later, the news comes that the tomb is empty. And we know John is one of the ones, along with Peter, that he sprints to the tomb. He's one of the first ones to arrive then. He's looking. There is no body. But he isn't sure exactly what has happened. Until later that same day, he has breakfast with Jesus on the beach. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. The light has overcome the darkness of death, the darkness of sin, the darkness of hell. Jesus is the light. Again, I hope that brings you hope and encouragement here in this Christmas season that no matter what you're facing, no matter how deep your heartache or extreme your fear, no matter how personal your rejection or dark your depression, the light of Jesus will always overcome as long as you have the light of Jesus nearby. Think of it this way. Think of a flashlight. No matter how powerful the flashlight is that you have, no matter how much money you spent on the flashlight. If you don't have it with you, it doesn't do you any good. Or if you haven't been charging up the batteries, keeping good maintenance on the flashlight, it's not going to do you any good. And you see, it's the same way with your relationship with Jesus. It's the exact same way. You can know all the stuff we talked about the last six weeks intellectually about the facts of Jesus. But until you actually have faith in those facts, until you give your life to him fully, and not just a a one-time, Jesus, please get me out of hell, not just that, but you start a relationship with him and every single day you're growing and and building your relationship with him. If you're not building that relationship, it's like not having the flashlight with you. You need to keep your relationship with Jesus charged and energized in the exact same way. And Bill, I'm going to dismiss you at this this point because we're almost there. I don't care what you've done. Again, when you have your problems and there's people you can't control or, or expectations that are beyond, you know, reason. People that you can't get along with. I don't care what it is that you're going through. Jesus can help you. But you got to have that ongoing relationship with him every day. Keeping those batteries charged, so to speak. Brings me into the big thought for today, if you're taking notes. That no matter how dark things in my life might become, because of my relationship with Jesus, his light will see me through. Let me say that one more time. No matter how dark things in my life might become, because of my relationship with Jesus, his light will see me through. 
And one of the ways that Jesus encouraged us to be reminded that he is the light and that he has overcome is through the, the sharing of the Lord's Supper, we call it communion. Jesus said, this is something that you are to do in remembrance of me. And so today we're going to share in communion together. For those of you that are online, go ahead and grab your elements. For those of you here in the room, and Steve, if you could get the uh, elements ready there in the back, just go to the back, grab your juice, grab your cup, bring it back to your seat, and then we'll actually share the elements together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup, and he took the bread, and he used it to symbolize what he was about to do. That he was about to give up his life. He was about to shed his blood. So that not only could our sins be forgiven, so we might have eternal life with him forever. As we just talked about, it was going to look dark over the next couple days. People didn't understand the significance of the blood and of the body when they took it. It wasn't until after his resurrection that they understood exactly what Jesus had meant. So we're encouraged as followers to just celebrate this. It's, it's called an ordinance of the church. We're, we're encouraged to celebrate it together. Just as a reminder, even in the darkest of times, even in the brightest of times, that Jesus is king. That Jesus is the light that has overcome. So we're going to share together. Jesus, he, he took the bread and he, he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so let's share in the bread together as a united family, as those online as well, being reminded that he gave his body for us. So now we in turn are to give our bodies back to him. And after the supper was done, Jesus, he took the cup and he, he poured it out. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. The old covenant had been that your sins were forgiven by the, the sacrifice of lambs and bulls and goats and pigeons and doves and all kinds of other things. There was this very elaborate system of how to have your sins forgiven. Again, it didn't make sense until a little bit later that Jesus was the lamb. He was the perfect spotless lamb that could take away the sins of the world. So Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. He poured out his blood because he loves you and he loves me. And he wanted to make a way for you to, to spend eternity with God forever. 
And so he knew that he could sacrifice his body once and for all. And so symbolically, when we take of the cup, it's a reminder of the blood of Christ. So I want to take just a couple moments here, give you a brief time of reflection. Because even though the, the blood of Jesus is powerful and it does forgive our sins, it doesn't give us a license to continue to sin. So the Apostle Paul says that anytime you're about to drink of the cup, you should examine your own life to make sure that there is no ongoing sin that you haven't been willing to give up. So again, I want to take a, just a second for us to reflect on our own lives. And if there's anything in your life that isn't right, Jesus will forgive it. John, he, he writes, he says, if you confess your sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. Isn't that what we want? We want to be cleansed. We want to be clean before God. That's what this cup represents. And so as we take it today, not only is it going to be a reminder of our own forgiveness that we're offered, but I always like to remind you that it's also symbolic that there's other people that need the blood of Jesus. Some of those people you're going to see throughout the holidays, family members and friends and neighbors and coworkers, that they don't yet have the same light. They don't have the same hope that you do. So it's our job to share that good news with them. So let's take some time. Let's reflect on our own lives. Let's reflect on who it is we need to share the good news with. And then when you're ready to, to make that covenant with Jesus, that I'm 100% yours and I'm on board with your mission, then go ahead and partake of the cup. Let's go ahead and take some time now. Jesus, again, we thank you that you are the light. And your light has overcome the darkness. The darkness of unrealistic expectations, the, the, the darkness of relational stress and financial pressures. 
the darkness of depression, the, 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 the darkness of, of addiction. darkness of health difficulties and pain, the darkness of loss, the darkness of fear and rejection, the darkness of doubt, the darkness of sin and death and hell itself. Jesus, your light has overcome all those things, and we are so thankful for that as we start this Christmas season as we remember why you were born into this world. Help us, Lord, over these next couple weeks as we do a lot of celebrating the, the what happened to more so stay focused on the why it happened. That you came so that we may have life, life abundantly, and life eternally. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave up your life for us. Help us now to give our lives back in service to you. Help it not to be about us, but all about you. Help us live for your honor and your glory and for your power. We pray all this in the great mighty name of Jesus. Amen.